Hello, true believers. It's me. I'm back. Stan Lee, live from hell. And we're here to talk about Fantastic Four, my opus. I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? What? All right. Welcome, everybody, to 1,000 Wives of Weird, the podcast where we discuss everything weird, mostly movies. My name is Billy Martell, and with me, as always, is... Brad Hefner. And today, we're talking about a movie that technically we shouldn't have been able to watch. Yes. Everyone who's seen this movie, and a lot of people have seen this movie, every single person who's seen this movie is technically doing something illegal. The only person, because this would fall into the category of something like the Star Wars Christmas special. Right, yeah. Where it's, the creator has done their best to keep it under wraps, Yes, but that has not worked. Yes. No one has the efficacy of Jerry Lewis and his protection of the day the clown cried. Yeah. He's shown it to a few people. Some clips have gotten out, but he's the only one who's been able to like truly keep his thing under wraps. I did do research on, well, actually, before I get to that, I should say right off the bat, in case you didn't read the title, we're talking about the unreleased 1993-94, I'm not sure, movie The Fantastic Four. Yes. Produced by Roger Corman back in the, in the early 90s that was famously never released. But yeah, I was doing research on other unreleased movies because from what I understand, it is more common than people think mm -hmm. to that studios will just make a movie. Well, definitely there are a lot of movies that are made specifically to hold on to rights. But there, are, from what I understand, it's much more common for movies to be made and then just never released. Somewhere in a vault, there are four complete seasons worth of a Blazing Saddles TV sitcom. They made four seasons of it, didn't release any of it until they eventually released the pilot episode as a bonus feature on the more, most recent Blu-ray release. Wow. Yeah. One of the unreleased movies I found while I was just Googling around was Stan Lee's POW Entertainment has an unreleased, apparently finished movie called Pandas vs. Aliens. Stan Lee okay. had a lot of failed companies under his belt after leaving Marvel. Did somebody mention my opus, <laughs> Pandas vs. Aliens? Yes, we did, Stan. Welcome back. Hello, true believers. It's Excelsior. It's me, Stan Lee, the godfather of comics. <laughs> well, uh, Some people say I invented comics. Nobody says that, Stan. I say that all the time. <laughs> well, I talk to Hitler down in hell, and I say, Hitler, I invented the funny book. Does, Stan, does Hitler even speak English? Uh, I speak very loudly. <laughs> you certainly do. You, cer you certainly speak very loudly. Well, we're actually today, Stan, we're talking about the movie The Fantastic Four. Oh, Jessica Alba and I were very close. No, no, no. We're not talking about... Fantastic Four, and we're not talking about Fan Four Stick. We're talking about the Fantastic Four, produced by Roger Corman in 1993. Oh, yes, I see. Yes, you know, <laughs> I turned to Roy Thomas one day. Yeah, because I keep him around. Right, of course. I said, Roy, mm -hmm. anyone who sees this film, <laughs> we need to kill him. 
but Marvel wasn't doing too well at the time. Right. So we didn't have those resources. <laughs> Back in the 60s, I fucking killed Kennedy. <laughs> because of the crossover with DC. Exactly. You couldn't, you couldn't let them have that success. Distinguished competition is one thing. Right. But when that... <laughs> One of my favorite things, one of my favorite behind the scenes things that you don't, you guys don't get to see or hear because we always edit it out is whenever Brad catches himself before he goes too far. (laughs) It's, it's really funny to see him just battle internally with the bits that he wants to do. (laughs) Sometimes the characters go too far. They have a they have a life of their own. Yes, yeah. And Stan, um, Stan Lee is a very powerful figure. And Stan almost said some very disparaging things <laughs> about the distinguished president, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Right. But uh, <laughs> shut the fuck up, Stan, and let's let's introduce this film. Let's introduce the film. All right. So this film was made uh, through an agreement with Bernd Iger and Roger Corman back in the day. It was made for just under a million dollars, and. That's a good budget for a really yeah. uh, superhero origin story that involves going to fucking space. And yet, if you don't know anything about Roger Corman, and many people don't anymore, I think, probably. Probably not. Uh, so Roger Corman is was the Jason Blum of his day, is the way I like to think about it. Like, he just, he knew how to make movies quickly, cheaply, and a lot of them. Yes. So he got very successful very early on in the 1950s in the drive-in age of movies, uh, releasing just creature feature after skin flick after creature feature after skin flick. Tons and tons of movies, some of which are considered classics, but not most of them. Yeah. Roger Corman sort of fulfilled the production ideal of on time and under budget. Oh, absolutely. He, he is, to this day, considered one of the smoothest slickest businessman in Hollywood. He's still alive, I believe. I'm not sure. Uh, he's he's getting up there, but I believe he's still alive. At the very least, he was alive when they made the documentary about this movie, Doomed, and he's in that documentary. And he... Just to show you like how low-budget his films were, this budget for this movie was the highest budget his studio had ever seen. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And it was a budget set by the company that owned the rights. Roger Corman didn't own the rights. They just knew that Roger Corman could get a cheap movie out. And so they went to him immedi- They went to him to make the movie because, famously, the movie was made to allow the company that had the rights to hold on to the rights because Marvel was at the time trying to get all of their film rights back in-house because this was also the time when James Cameron was trying to do a Spider-Man movie and Wes Craven was trying to do a Doctor Strange movie. So Marvel was starting to feel pretty big for their britches, and this company was in danger of losing the only superhero rights that they had. I went into the boardroom at Marvel. Uh Uh-huh. I was technically not allowed to be there at the time. I can't imagine why. But I forced my way in. Of course. I was very spry. I'm still very spry. (laughs) I'm in the hell pentathlon. (laughs) They keep you busy down there. I'm living my best afterlife down there. (laughs) Now, I went into the boardroom, uh-huh. and I said, look, if anybody's going to make money off of any of these dumbass characters, mm-hmm. it's going to be me. <laughs> and they said, Stan, the restraining order is still in effect. Yeah, yeah. Well, but they took my idea. We don't have you to blame for all of this this time. Uh, a big 
Stan Lee is kind of a villain in the story, but a much bigger villain is a, a force that was very powerful in Marvel during this time period and in, into the early aughts named Avi Arad, uh, who, if you do any kind of research around Marvel history, you will hear his name come up a lot and almost always in a negative context. He was the guy who basically laid the bedrock for what Marvel has become today, the huge media giant mm. that it has come to become today. And he did that by stabbing a whole bunch of people in the back and being a total fuckwad, apparently. So I don't understand why you don't like him. He sounds like me. <laughs> he he was also famous for being a very charming asshole, like like you, Stan. If if you don't know who the Fantastic Four is, they're four superheroes. The concept of them is that they are scientist adventurers who behave kind of like a a. a a dysfunctional family unit. Yeah. Would they have the professor, uh, Reed Richards, uh, who had construction. They could call him Mr. Fantastic. He's we'll kind describe of him as we go through the... Sure, but the movie is basically about this super team and ha- detailing their comic book origins as well as the origins of their famous, their infamous nemesis, Dr. Doom. Yep. And just basically being a, a an old-fashioned adventure with the Fantastic Four coming to grips with their powers and stopping Doctor Doom from blowing up New York with a big death ray, I think that's basically as much of the plot as you need. There's not yeah. there's not too much plot. To this there's movie. not a lot of plot. No. So um, let's talk about real quick whether or not we recommend people uh, do the arduous task of finding this movie online. Brad, do you recommend the Fantastic Four? No. Even as a lover of good, bad movies, I don't know that there's enough good in this bad to recommend it for that reason. And as a comic fan, this is painful to watch. (laughs) Even as someone who's not a big fan of the Fantastic Four, I've read a lot, but I'm not... Like, I don't love them. You read them mostly for... Because you're a comic fan and you want to know about the history. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and they're a very the important figure in, in Marvel history and in comic book history. Oh, absolutely. They were Marvel's flagship book. Yeah, before Spider-Man was really popular, it was FF all the way. They launched the Marvel Age of Comics. Yes. Uh, it was a blend of science fiction mm-hmm. and pulp it, adventure. It was where a lot of people discovered the magic that is Jack Kirby, who is yep. a... Who is a Huge, huge person in our in our galaxy of stars in our head that he's he looms large. But as a comic fan, I didn't really enjoy it. As a bad mm-hmm. movie fan, I didn't enjoy it. It's not that there's nothing to enjoy in there. Like there's a lot of hilarious shit. There's so much hilarious shit. But I don't know that it's worth it to pick through. Okay. I guess I would sort of give it a weak recommend just for the novelty of it, for the mm-hmm. for the uniqueness of it. It's definitely more entertaining than the Star Wars Holiday Special, the other most popular unreleased uh, thing. I will take your word there. for it. I have not seen it. That is unwatchable. Uh, I believe it. Yeah. But, yeah, I just, I didn't get enough out of it. And, um, yeah, it just really didn't do it for me in the end to be able to recommend. Mm-hmm. Especially with, I mean, it's not hard to find. No, it's it's. Um, I was joking. It's really not hard to find. But... It doesn't look good. You're kind of staring at a blob for about an hour and a half. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, the negatives are either burned, according to Avi Arad, or in some vault somewhere. Until someone figures out a way to make money off of this, we're never going to see that. So all we have is a burned VHS copy that somebody had. But what about you, Billy? Would you recommend this? I have a very conditional yes. Okay. This is as close as I get to having a guilty pleasure. 
Mm-hmm. I don't like the term guilty pleasure. You should just be able to enjoy things. Because Exactly. You should just be able to enjoy things. But if I were to very specifically define guilty pleasure as a movie I know is not good, mm-hmm. but I enjoy unironically anyway. Gotcha. So this is not just like a so bad it's good movie, although there is definitely that for me. But to me, like this is a movie that genuinely makes me happy. And that is kind of why I wanted to talk about it after we're, these episodes are coming out out of order. Yes. But the last episode that we recorded as of this time was Joe versus the volcano. And I had such a good time watching that movie and talking about that movie that when it came time for me to pick a new movie, this recent times have been very dark. I've been going through a lot in my personal life and I just really wanted to talk about a movie that would make me happy. And Joe vs. Volcano reminded me that weird movies don't have to be sad movies. No. Even though very often we do go for, like, dark, grim shit here. Yeah. Because we both enjoy that shit. We do. Uh, it's Sometimes it's nice to have some popcorn. And for me, this movie is total cheese, total popcorn, cheese popcorn. And I really enjoy it. That being said... This movie is not good. No, it's not in any... <laughs> it's, And I understand that. And I, I completely understand. I actually will say one of the things that I enjoy the most about this film is that the ways that this film is not good, and this is why I was kind of surprised that you put the comic book fan angle in there, the ways that this movie is not good are exactly, to my mind, the same ways that the original... Fantastic Four run with Stanley and Jack Kirby is not good. All of the same flaws are there. And so for me, I almost see it as one of the most faithful comic adaptations ever. Because not only does it have not only does it have the characters and it has the origin story and 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 the villains and all that stuff, but it also has the tone and the weird shit that would just happen out of nowhere. And the, the, the corny dialogue and, and the, the silly science and all over the place character development of, of early Stanley and Jack Kirby. I'm going to come in with a hot take. Okay, go ahead. Maybe faithful adaptations uh, should lose the bad shit. <laughs> of the thing you have a adapting. very good point. You have a very good point. Just going through some behind-the-scenes material for this movie real quick, just at the top, before we get into the actual plot. Apparently, everyone involved with the actual making of the movie was super invested and stoked about making it. Yeah, I, I read that. It's... it's. I appreciate the heart. It's like... Yeah. Uh, it's... It, this it's, is this is like a step above a fan film. I was just about to say this is like the most expensive fan film yes. ever made. Uh, just to go down through the cast real quick, Doctor Doom is played by Joseph Culp, okay, who is the son of one of my favorite character actors, Robert Culp. Yes, he's inherited his father's chin, which is great because that can that shit can cut glass. And I'll say this now. Doom is the best part of this movie. Oh my god. In the worst possible way, but the best part. <laughs> Joseph Culp is always Doctor Doom for me. Like he is the definitive Doctor Doom. <laughs> yes, I would agree. <laughs> he, no, I want to see more of this Doctor Doom. Absolutely. I I want him to have a whole TV show. And you know who would be great as this Doctor Doom? Who? The father from Meet the Hollowheads. I forget the actor's name. Jonathan Glover. Yes. Oh shit. Yes. Imagine him as this Doctor Doom. <laughs> I talk with my hands. <laughs> That's what this Doom does. He does. This he Doom does. is not from Latveria. He's from Italy. 
I this movie is worth watching just for Doom alone. I will agree with that. <laughs> Alex Hyde White plays Reed Richards. He's apparently also the son of another character actor. David Hyde Pierce. No. <laughs> Someone with a last name White. But David Hyde Pierce and Walter White. Sure, yes. But the par- Breaking Bad real life actor crossover. <laughs> the fan fiction I wrote. Right, exactly. Oh, Walter White um, gets tickets, backstage tickets, to uh, to a production of Spam a Lot, and he meets David Hyde Pierce, and it's love at first sight. Yep. Just, just like Ben and Alicia in this movie. Exactly. Right. Carl Cherfolio, Cherryfolio, I think his name is. Uh, he was the guy, the suit actor for the Thing in the movie, and he his most famous claim to fame, other than this, is that he's the guy who jo- Joe Pesci crushes the head of in a vice in Casino. Wonderful. Yes. That's a pretty good legacy. That is a pretty good legacy, yes. Now, the Thing wouldn't have gotten his head crushed. No, he's he's too strong for that. I, <laughs> he's got a strong head. I once pitched a story where the Thing <laughs> went to Vegas <laughs> and lost all of the Fantastic Four's money. <laughs> of course he did. And Sammy the Bull Gravano put the screws to him. <laughs> My question is, where does where the Yancey Street gang factor into this particular story arc? Oh, it wasn't a real casino. It was just a put-on by them. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Sammy the Bull Gravano was three of them stacked up on a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> and you gave this pitch to Jack Kirby and he returned the Galactus trilogy. Yes! Said to Jack, this Vegas is the new thing. Everyone's talking about it. We should. We, what if they tried to break the thing's kneecaps? But the bats just broke. Cat Green plays Alicia. Jay Underwood plays Johnny Storm. He was a rising star at the time, having and, appeared in Uncle Buck. And he is in a movie which might be on this show. I definitely want to see it. Mm-hmm. It's a made for TV movie, it's an after school special sure. called The Day My Son Went Punk. Oh, dear. And the. Uh, <laughs> The thumbnail on Letterboxd is him in sort of like, more like gothy, more like Susie Sue sort of makeup. Uh Yeah. Uh, And he has a violin and he's like, no, he's playing something with a violin bow, but it's it's not a violin. Not a violin. (laughs) It's a dildo. Which makes it, it's not a dildo. Okay. I would have remembered that, but it's something out of the ordinary and not punk. Not what punks do. (laughs) Hopefully that'll be the next, uh, his secret life. Hopefully. (laughs) Rebecca Staub played uh, Susan Storm. And she's gone on to be in a lot of Hallmark movies. That makes a lot of sense. That makes, she's, she's not bad in this movie and I found her very attractive. I was, I was more of an Alicia guy. I understand. I understand. You get, you, you do give off a bit of a Ben Grimm vibe. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, uh, uh, your hatred of children. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My my multiple <laughs> child nemesis. Um, I want to bring this up. Okay, go and ahead. And I've talked to you about this before. Sure. In movies, mm-hmm. and granted, everyone is attractive in movies, but blind yes. women are always very attractive in this, in Red Dragon. Blind women um, are very fetishized. Yes, and it's weird. So it's to the point weird. where it's like, I sort of fetishize them where like, yeah, I hope I made a blind chick someday. <laughs> I that is a actually a very common thing. We uh my wife and I follow a blind YouTuber. Yeah. And she has talked about there are people there are a lot of people with blind fetishes because of this 
fetishization in movie where they will come up to their to her and be like, feel my face. And that's not something that blind people do in real life. Yeah. All of them do it in movies. They feel the face and they suddenly know everything about you. Yeah. But no nobody nobody does that in real life. It's not helpful to them. So yeah. So <laughs> look be be careful to treat blind people Leave as people. Blind folks. people alone. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Uh if you see a blind person and you're in your car, speed up so you get away from them quicker. <laughs> no, let's let's back up the truck there. Okay. Uh, no, no, speed the speed up the truck. Yeah. Uh, Michael Belly Smith plays Ben Grimm. He was cast after the suit actor because the production was so rushed. They had to get it done in under six months. I think was the time frame for the movie. Again, not the shortest time frame Roger Corman has turned in a film for. Started working on the special effects immediately because they knew that was the most important thing to do and uh, Michael Belly Smith was cast for the human part and doing the voice for the character after the fact and ironically because of the order people were cast in they accidentally ended up casting a much bigger and brawnier actor for Ben Grimm than the guy who was in the thing suit yes so that thankfully they do shoot it well so that you can't really tell but no I didn't I didn't particularly notice that I didn't notice it but Ben Grimm does technically shrink when he becomes the thing instead of growing yeah well i think that's a powerful statement <laughs> about the nature of strength and the beast that is right. uh, the thing right just like mr hyde was stooped over when he came out of yeah Jekyll. yeah just like stefan urkel um <laughs> actually had a smaller penis than right. Stephen urkel right Stephen urkel had a two-foot penis right yeah it actually was a detriment <laughs> That explains his walk. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and it was directed by Ole Sassoon. There was a cat named Lucy who they kept around to protect the, ca the cast and crew from the rats that kept attacking everyone. Stanley visited the set almost every day of production. He met and spoke to every person involved in the show. He even brought them donuts. At one point, he told the actor playing Ben Grimm that he was exactly the right actor, that no one could ever embody Ben Grimm the way that he did. He then left the set one day, went to a convention, and started shit-talking them immediately. I don't like this! This... <laughs> How about you hear my side of the story? Okay, go ahead. Alright. Uh-huh. These shitheads... <laughs> Starting off strong, man. We're making a terrible Fantastic Four movie. Uh huh. And I was not allowed in the Marvel offices. <laughs> so I needed to go somewhere for 16 hours a day. 16 hours a day? Yeah. I arrived at the Teamsters and I left with the PAs. <laughs> wow, you were really lonely, weren't you, Stan? I, I need to yell at somebody. <laughs> So you decide to yell And the praise? coffee was free. <laughs> With a Roger Corman production, I can't believe the coffee was free. Well, I never <laughs> paid for it. The score was done for no money. The composers wanted to be in on a big Marvel movie, mm -hmm. so they paid for a 14-piece orchestra themselves Wow! and scored the movie. The score, by the way, one of the best parts of the movie, in sure. my opinion. So the movie opens with a obvious attempt at capturing the grandeur and majesty of the John Williams opening sequence for Superman the movie. Okay. With the camera going through space, except... It's not state-of-the-art special effects. It's just a bunch of matte paintings. It's like a Windows 95 screensaver. Basically, yeah. This movie has some of the 
like the worst CGI you've ever seen in your life in it. It's it's like reboot levels of bad. Yes. We have the score coming up, which as I've already said is one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's definitely ripping off a lot of better scores. There are some bits where it's almost note for note Star Wars, the Star Wars <laughs> trench run, but uh, especially during the action scenes. But the opening title sequence, da 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 da, it's very romantic and sweeping and adventurous, and I just I just really dig it. I, okay. The movie then abruptly cuts to an opening in the college classroom, where mm. just like in the comics, Reed Richards, Ben Grimm, and Victor Von Doom. The man with the silliest name <laughs> in all of fiction uh, are all sitting in class together, passing notes and and being all cute. Here's what drove me nuts. Okay, Ben I Grimm guess I'm just an asshole. is never fucking established or introduced as like who he is. No, all he he seems to have some vague connection to Reed, yeah. but it's just like who's this giant man right. who's just at the edges of the screen? Well, that's the thing is like they. Physically, in terms of the look, they did cast Ben Grimm well. Like oh, he, he's he looks very much like Ben Grimm. He looks like a big brick of a man, and that is exactly what Ben Grimm is drawn like in the comics. And honestly, when, this guy's a little bit more attractive than Ben Grimm in the comics is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although, whenever I think of Ben Grimm in his human form, I think of uh, when he kept switching back and forth during Secret Wars. And oh he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which when and he that's in that Ben Grimm looks a lot like this guy. Exactly. Yeah. And so I just kept like. Being like, why isn't he in a Speedo? <laughs> ben Grimm should be in a Speedo. That comes later. Uh, but yeah, so I, I really like the casting choice. My problem with Ben Grimm in this movie, aside from just the fact that everybody is either hamming it up or underacting in this movie, there is no there's no consistent level of, of acting talent in the film. No. Like I said, they were all uh, encouraged to overact to try and like add this, give it this sort of fairy tale quality. But... Ben Grimm in the in the original Fantastic Four number one is already kind of a misanthropic character before he becomes the thing. Yeah. So his reaction to the thing and the way that he's so quickly willing to turn on the other members of the team so quickly is very well established right from the get go. Yeah. He doesn't need to be the thing to be like to have anger issues. No. And in this movie, and to a lesser extent in the Tim Story film. They seem to have this idea that, like, it'll be sadder if he's a really sweet guy yeah. before, beforehand. But then, like, I, I would be depressed, too, if I turned into the big orange rock monster. But the his personality completely shifts into his comic book personality as soon as yeah. he becomes a thing later on. But anyway, yeah, they do not establish... I'm sorry, Billy, that my turn was not <laughs> established enough for you. <laughs> That's all right, Ben. That's all right. You're you're still one. You're still my favorite Fantastic Four character. I'm a giant rock monster, but I guess you have a bigger problem. <laughs> you're you're right. I should get some perspective. So yeah, no, this film. Do you ever give to the rock monster charities? <laughs> I didn't know there was one. I'm starting one right now. <laughs> oh, I see. I need to go get a sandwich. <laughs> Your charity is to to collect so you can go get a sandwich. It's Quiznos still a thing. <laughs> Probably. No, right. Probably. So, yeah, this movie, another, the biggest problem with the writing in this movie for me is that they establish nothing. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, literally nothing. You uh, can, if you are a comic book fan, you can pick up what's going on through context clues sometimes. Yes. But a lot of the time, you are in the weeds. It took me like, again, I saw this for the first time in high school. There are things I finally understood about the plot 
this time I watched it for this show that I have never known before. Yeah, there were times when I was very much lost. And again, the only, like when I saw a giant man, I was like, probably Ben Grimm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But still, I was like, I was like, I can't allow the movie to get away with this. No, like just because I know who it is, right? The movie still needs to establish it. Yeah, they they do a little bit of a better job establishing Reed Richards and and Victor. Yes, they do. They never say in order to make Reed seem like less of a dumbass for not realizing that Victor Von Doom is Doctor Doom later. They only say Victor's first name whenever talking about his his human version, and only say his last name when talking about the big metal Darth Vader clone. Yes. Yeah. Which actually, Doctor Doom was invented first, but whatever. This opening scene sticks very close to the original uh, comic book origin for all three characters, that they Mm -hmm. all knew each other in college, that Victor and Reed were doing some unnecessarily elaborate scientific experiment in their dorm room or something, and that it ends up blowing up in Doctor Doom's face. Except, I think in the comics he was trying to revive the dead... I yeah, I don't know if that was a retcon later on, uh, or just like they finally fleshed out the story. I know that uh, that was incorporated in a much later run, but I could have sworn that was in the original thing that Stanley was like, what does a mad scientist want to do? Uh, Dr. Frankenstein wants to bring back the dead, so they like included it in one line, but I'm really not sure. I originally wanted them to... Here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, we just met him. I want... <laughs> Shit, I should write that down. <laughs> That's so good. Everyone says I stole from Jack Kirby. Right, yes, everyone says that. But I said, what if Victor Von Doom was trying to make some sort of anti-life equation? <laughs> and you know what that son of a bitch Hack Kirby did? I can't like imagine. Like 20 fucking years later? <laughs> Anti-life equation. Anti-life equation when you went to D.C., right? With a distinguished competition, I mean. Yes. Yes. And that's when he came up with that other character. That, exactly. That we don't talk about. No. Funky Flashman. Stop. The I, I love the performance of the college professor. He is only in this one scene. Yeah. And he has decided that it is his movie for that scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, he, he's, he's in... Uh, why are, why are Reed and Victor taking the same class as Ben Grimm? <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> taking a 101 level course. These are two fucking super geniuses. <laughs> right. Ben Grimm oh can barely god. tie his fucking shoes. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I Man, I, that didn't even cross my mind. Really? Because it's... <laughs> Like my immediate thought, well, no, because that's, I that's still the obvious first thought. It just never crossed my mind because I've all I was thinking of was, yeah, they knew each other in college. Like that's all. It still like rattled me because again, they don't establish Ben. No, so I'm like maybe that's just some random jock giving Reed a hard time. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe he's the bully character in the scene, like they yeah. al- they always do in high schools or college scenes. Alex Hyde White, as we said, plays Reed Richards. Mm-hmm. He said that he fell in love with the character of Reed over the course of the movie. I I know. <laughs> He's, Alex Assuming Hyde White, he read the source material, who wouldn't fall in love with the world's stretchiest dick? <laughs> and I yeah. don't mean penis. No, I mean we're talking jerkwad. Jerkwad, asshole, fuckface. Well, dingbat. Again, world stretchiest asshole doesn't sound great either. It <laughs> just sounds like you're a really good bottom. <laughs> 
But you, know, you uh, mean the Shakespeare role. Right, exactly. Yes. It, you know, he, an ass. Yeah. Alex Hyde White, like I said, fell in love with the character in the read in this movie, and only in this movie. And he, apparently it he said that it helped him learn how to like himself again after a nasty divorce he had gone through. So Well, like whatever said, helps you process things. Victor and Reed are having arguments about math involving some comet named Colossus, which is apparently important. Yes. <laughs> the word Colossus is said a lot. Quite a lot. Uh, I never really understood anything involving Colossus. That was the thing that I just mentioned that I never understood whenever I saw this movie. I didn't even know it was a fucking comet. I finally figured out what the fuck the deal is with Colossus this time. Okay. And I will... Not tell you about it now, I'll tell you about it later when God, I figured I it can't out. Fucking wait. I know, you're on the edge of your seat. Victor is being followed around by some European looking dudes. We'll we'll get to the European looking dudes later. They're a whole other kettle of fish. Uh they look like Jim Henson and uh <laughs> they do. Jack Nicholson standing. Jack Nick yeah, yeah, Jack Nicholson standing. I w- I was gonna say that the second one looks like uh Andy from Twin Peaks, if he was a little bit more evil. Yes, and much shorter. <laughs> and much shorter, yes. That man is a tree. But the, the, the one thing I want to touch on really quick right here is the fucked up change that they make to Susan and Johnny in this version. I yeah, don't no, know. You've uh... read a lot more original Fantastic Four than I have at this point, despite the fact that I'm a bigger fan than you. That's that's weird. Is this in the comics when they go back and they talk about the origin story with their time in college? That uh, Reed was at a boarding house Reed, and he groomed Susan. Reed and Ben are live at a boarding house, and the woman in charge of the boarding house is Mrs. Storm. Yes. And she... Her, the father is absent, just like in the comics, which I appreciated. But Reed, Johnny is, of course, younger than both of them. That's mm-hmm. fine. He's a little kid at this point. But so is Sue. Sue is yeah. very young. And the implication is supposed to be that Reed is only a few years older than her. But he's played by the actor who's going to play him as an adult. He looks 40. Yeah. And uh, she is a child. Age differences, however you feel about it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, dif- it's a whole... Thing. It's a thing. It's and it's very difficult to find out in certain situations They're, what's right and what's wrong. And the age difference between Sue and Reed is sort of fudgy in the comics because Reed is sort of prematurely gray because of war terror. Is that um, the explanation? Yes. I thought they just. I thought he was just. No. That was just. You get those when you're smart in Marvel comics. That's why Doctor Strange has those too. I mean, I'm sure that was the design originally. And right. They're like. Oh, no, the, he's not that old. It's just he was in the war with Nick Fury, and yeah. that's yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't ever recall this. My point is, age differences are much creepier when you establish that the yeah. older person knew the younger person when they were younger, like young, like a child. Yeah. Well, uh, one one person was of age and the other one was not. Yes. And, uh, and that's so it, we're not talking about people who start a relationship when they're both seventeen, or when one of them's seventeen, one of them's sixteen, and the other one becomes eighteen. First. Or even like a relationship between like <clears throat> uh, thirty five and twenty two. Like after you're past a certain age, right? It's whatever. Let's, but when let's, you know a child, and yeah. then you later fuck that person, right? It's it's a weird area. But when Reed comes in, yes, he knocks Sue Storm flat That's on her right. ass. <laughs> he just like it's, showing the future of their relationship yes. in the comics, where he's just 
beating Reed, her constantly. <laughs> Reed Richards in the comics yeah. is the worst fucking person. He is so, you know, he's he, awful. He's he is awful. worse than Tony Stark. He is worse than... <laughs> Tony Stark uh, invents, like, death rays that kill every civilian in a town. Specifically designed to kill civilians. I'm not sure you can call Reed worse than Tony Stark. Early Marvel is wild, y'all. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't think yeah. if you if, if your only introduction to the Marvel universe is like more recent comics, their most famous story arcs and runs, or even like the MCU, you have no idea how fucked up classic Marvel could get. And they didn't even know that they were being fucked up. It's just that Stan Lee was writing them, and Stan Lee's kind of a shitty dude, and he had shitty attitudes about women. Yeah, um, <laughs> and they all bled into his stories. Oh my god, mm. we could talk forever about. We could literally how goddamn yeah. insane. <laughs> Not just Marvel comics are; all comics are. Oh no, comics um, are an insane medium, and any attempt to take them from one medium to another loses some of the insanity. Like I've never Yeah, because again, your goal in an adaptation is to <laughs> drop the bad shit. <laughs> and there's some bits about uh, any any era of comics, even the most like serious and critically lauded comics, even Watchmen dropped the squid because they were like that seems like a little bit too silly. Yes. I would argue they should have kept the squid. Oh, I would too. But that was a choice that they made yeah. and that that's the kind of stuff that gets dropped in in comic book adaptations. Just just the fact that Aside from this one movie made by a bunch of nerds in a in a in a condemned barn, being eaten by rats every day, every other Fantastic Four film has tried to distance themselves more and more and more yes. from the source material. <laughs> That's why I'm kind of interested to see mm -hmm. what the MCU will do with the Fantastic Four. Because I am super curious. What do you do with this incredibly old, very dated property? And also, just like fucking box office poison. <laughs> Literally at this point, yeah, it's, like, it's all it's it's it has greater claim to being cursed than the Superman franchise does. Yeah, and two people are dead from the Superman franchise. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So Reed and Victor are doing something with this comet called Colossus. They yes. have a big lightning rod thing in, I think, Victor's dorm room, or maybe it's a lab. I don't know. I don't hey, think anyone involved in this movie ever went to college. Again, no establishing shots for anything. Nothing. No explanations for anything. The only thing they establish is that apparently Victor is not as good at math as Reed is, and his equations are wrong, but he's too prideful to admit it, so that's why the machine's going to blow up in his face. Oh no, I'm so dumb, but I can't <laughs> tell Reed! <laughs> and... In that sentence, Brad just encapsulated the entire relationship between Reed Richards and Victor Von Doom in the comics. And oh my god, if you thought Skeletor was funny, Doctor Doom and Reed Richards' relationship is comedy fucking gold. It is. Uh... Doctor Doom takes megalomaniacal to uh, an entire new planet. <laughs> But all of his it's... megalomania is entirely obsessed with the idea that he's he's he feels so inferior to his old college roommate, and he needs to prove that he's better than him. <laughs> and, and none of the other movies have ever captured just how fucking absurd of a person he is. And that's another reason why I fucking love this movie, because Doctor Doom is just 
as fucking camp as he needs to be. The one thing <laughs> that I appreciated that this movie added that I don't feel is in the comics okay. is the very strong sexual tension between Reed and Victor. I feel like it's you can read that into the comics if you want. Sure, but I I think it, yeah no they def it was the right yeah, choice. It was the right choice. Yeah, <laughs> especially with how uh, with how campy Doctor Doom is played. Oh yeah. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so they're they're trying to, I guess. Well, I, I guess, I was guessing at the time, but I know, I know now. They're, they're trying to harness the energy from the comet. Apparently, they have somehow discerned, I guess I'll just say it now, they've somehow discerned that the comet has some kind of energy inside it, some kind of magical force controlling everything. And they are trying to absorb that power and figure out what to do with it once they have it, I guess. Question for you. Yes. How much do you think this movie is to blame mm-hmm. for the Heaven's Gate tragedy? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> when did that happen? 90s? Late 90s? The late 90s? Oh, in that case, uh, well, that's... Correlation always proves causation. If I Absolutely. remember anything from school, it's that. So I think this film is... Especially since this film was never released and no one involved in the Heaven's Gate probably ever saw it, I think I can say yes. This is absolutely responsible for the for that tragedy. A damning indictment <laughs> from Marvel and film expert Billy Martell. <laughs> Gonna post that. None of the rest of this episode is making it. Just that sentence. We're sending it to Ain't It Cool News. New hot take from Billy Martell, the person everyone listens to. Ben is outside with the kids, with with Johnny and and yeah. Sue, watching watching the the comet go by. Everybody's out there to watch the comet, and he sees the the sky beam shooting out of whatever the fuck building Reed and Victor are in. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the <laughs> it's been a while since I've been to college, but I am I I am I was struggling to figure out the ge- the the geography of this location. I assume this is like the commons where like. <laughs> Students can like, just do whatevs, you right. know, just like hang out, like know, build their fucking space ray. <laughs> they got a foosball table, the the commissary, death ray. <laughs> they kept telling him was for their uh, Rocky Horror production. It's like, oh, this is some pretty elaborate stuff you got here. <laughs> so their machine is fucking up because Victor is bad at math. Yep. Uh, he's blast. He's, he starts yelling, I will not fail! I will not fail! Trying to manifest... Better math skills, I guess. Yes. Uh, and, of course, he is immediately blasted with lightning. And here's where I pondered the question. <laughs> Why did they build a lightning machine that only kills Victor? <laughs> That's right. So Reed is, is, is he's standing on the other side of the lightning rod from Doom. But he's standing just as close. But the lightning... Spe- God looked down on that day and said, Specifically, fuck this guy. <laughs> and... Blasted him. As an atheist, I assume that Victor just fucked up the math, so specifically only he would be murdered. <laughs> he was just by twist of fate, just by, just by pure horrible coincidence. It was that he 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 carried the one that would save Reed's life, but not the one that would save yes. his. Right. Maybe this was all a plot by Victor to build a lightning machine to kill Reed. Oh no! But he he like got it backwards. Ben bursts in and tackles Victor, pushing him out of the way of the lightning. 
Uh, he's already been zapped a bunch. But... I'll save you from science. We take the same class. I know what's going on. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, it is <laughs> the we cut to the hospital where where Victor is in the ICU, and he's given uh, Reed is giving off some strong Jeffy Combs vibes <laughs> in this yeah, scene. Yeah. Oh, Jeffrey Combs would be a great Reed Richards. Oh my God, he would be fantastic. He would be I, either one. Reed Richards, actually, dual roll it. Jeffrey Combs was Reed Richards and Doctor Doom. Yeah, to show that they're two sides of the same coin. Oh my God, Stuart Gordon's Fantastic Four. Oh my God. Oh my God, so much, so much naked Barbara Crampton. I mean, in that it's not movie. even that far. Barbara out of... Crampton would be Sue Storm. Holy shit. Holy shit. Um. Oh my God, I love this. I'm just imagining it now. It would Andre have... the Giant is the thing. Oh my god! <laughs> would have just the the villain would be the mole man, so that he could have as many yeah. goopy monsters as possible. And Jonathan Taylor Thomas as <laughs> Johnny Storm. Johnny Storm. Oh, I I don't hate that. <laughs> I don't. I mean, hate that this isn't even. I mean, casting aside. Yeah, this isn't even out of the realm of possibility because Stuart Gordon is very much a mercenary. Give me the money, I'll I'll make the movie. No, he he would abs- he would say yes to pretty much anything. Yeah. Uh I mean he's dead. But so Stan and he yeah. drops by the studio every day. True. Yeah. But Stuart Gordon is in heaven. In fact, I we need to yes, he is in heaven. We need to start setting traps for Stan. I have a feeling that he's he's raiding the fridge a little bit too often. Uh but anyway. That's your problem, not mine. <laughs> the same uh Euro trash guys that we saw earlier are now doctors in the hospital. Yes. <laughs> they wear many hats. And they they tell Reed, very worried boyfriend, Victor is dead, his burns were too severe, and they 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 steal him out of there, claiming that they're taking him to the morgue, but really they're they're taking him back to what is never established, but we, we infer, being comic book fans, is the country of Latveria. Yes. Which in the comics Doctor Doom rules. Doesn't he conquer Latveria in the comics? I always thought he was a hereditary leader. In this movie, um, he is. They they specific apparently they've just been following him around his entire college career to make sure he doesn't get into trouble as the as the heir to the throne. Although of I think you're right, I do seem to recall his origin is like I thought a he was, Romani or something. Yeah, I thought he was like a Romani um, who uh, had a lot of shit happen to him and then eventually mastered black magic and took over the kingdom. I believe you're right. Yeah. But yeah, so they they take him back to Latveria. Again, the word Latveria, never named. No. If you didn't know who the Fantastic Four were, and this was released in theaters, you would be so fucking lost. Yeah. At every stage of this film. Uh, We cut to... Oh, Reed cries into Ben's shoulder. It's very sad. And here's where I, I again, asked a question. Who is this giant man hugging Reed? (laughs) They still hadn't established him, even at Absolutely that point. Absolutely not. I, I have, I've gotten so comfortable with this movie. I, I forget how much they don't tell you. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad you're here to remind me. Ten years later, I think we finally get the first mention of his name. Yes. He says, "Ben, you're gonna pilot my rocket." He says something like that. Uh, he built this rocket and emotionally blackmailing him into, into piloting it. Baxter Building never established. Never established. They just have a building. I had no clue what this fucking space was. It looked like it yeah. was out of space cases. It, I was yeah. very confused. No, it. Uh, I. The, in the comics, they have a big building that they live in called the Baxter Building. I'm not sure if even in the comics it's, comics it's ever explained where the fuck that came from or why they have it. But it's like a building where a lot of offices are and Not people live really, there. Not really, but they explain the presence of it. Like it's, they at least say, they, "Hey, they say like, hey, this is the Baxter Building. It's where the Fantastic, it's where the Fantastic Four, Four live. live." Not only is the building never explained, we never 
get to figure, we never are told, hey, this is the building Reed owns or whatever. Yeah. Not only that, but at the end of the movie, right before the climax, we cut to the outside of the building and the Fantastic Four logo is on the building just out of fucking nowhere. It's yeah. like, when did you pay a construction crew to come in and carve a number four in your fucking building? I mean, that's like step three. Who's the graphic designer? Right. <laughs> That's right, and it's not even the logo they have on their costume. So they paid a separate yeah. marketing team to create also, this logo. When did they do this? When did they fucking do this? Like at that, some you're right, Billy. This movie sucks. At this point in the movie, most people still think that they're dead. But we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, again, Reed blackmails Ben. Ben, I mean, this this scene is the scene that when I was in high school and back when I was in high school, I hated this movie. I okay. only watched it for the educational value, but I, I, I almost like threw my computer against the wall at this scene. It was so disturbing. Ben says, well, we'll go to space, but not without Johnny and Sue, two people who have no training. Yeah. This is this also is, very uh... true to the comics. Oh yeah. No, this was, this, uh... this is something that has never made sense in the, in every other uh, here's, movie. Here's, hold on. Let me tell you my note. Yeah. The reasoning for taking Johnny and Sue into space yeah. is somehow worse than in the comics. <laughs> That's right. What was the reasoning in the comics again? None. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the reason was plot. Yeah, it was just they have to be there. But later we're told that nobody knows more about the project than Johnny and Sue. Right. How the fuck is that possible? <laughs> Even though apparently they haven't seen them in years. Yeah, because when Reed sees Sue, he's like, wowzer. Wowzer, you, um, you grew up. But like us, presumably they would have seen each other if she knows so much about this fucking project. He, he has a... Also, you guys... Lived in the same house. <laughs> a fucking boarding house. Why would you have access to this project? Uh, he he has a YouTube channel where he posts updates about the project, and the only two viewers are Johnny and Sue. <laughs> ben doesn't even watch it. He's gotten he's tired of that shit. And Sue keeps, He was in the same class as Reed. He knows all this already. Sue keeps like DMing him and Oh, like, absolutely. Just really thirsty DMs. Yep. Uh but yeah, so and and the the creepiest part of this scene. Aside from everything else about this very forced wholesomeness and romance that's put onto the scene, which just feels tacky as fuck, the actor who plays Ben Grimm knocks on the door, the mother, Mrs. Storm, opens the door, and he says, Hi, Mrs. Storm. Can Johnny and Sue go to outer space with us? That's right. <laughs> that's what it was. It's He's trying to be cute, but it's terrifying. <laughs> it is, because I have no clue if Mrs. Storm knows that her children are about to go into fucking space. Because <laughs> it sounds like Ben just decided that's what was going to happen. <laughs> but no, she, she, she has this, like look on her face like, oh, I I knew this day would come. Like like Shamise Skywalker, they're taking them off to yeah. the Jedi count, Jedi Council. Uh, they're, they're taking them, and they, they the other reason they say is that they'll never forgive us if we don't take them to space. Yeah. I, I think they probably understand. Mama Storm turns to them and says, look at you, and they all turn around and pose for a family photo. Yeah. The Fantastic Four. Totally natural. Totally natural. Let me tell you how I came up with the, the name Fantastic Four. How did you do it, Stan? I was at a Chinese restaurant. I hate where this is going already. I was at a restaurant. Okay. <laughs> and the maitre d' 
uh-huh. asked, a, asked a patron, mm-hmm. how many in your party? Uh-huh. And the man said, four. And the maitre d' said, fantastic, four. <laughs> oh, that's the end of your story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was so inspired. I said, Excelsior, that's it. A fantastic four. I mean... And then I saw a leper. And that's where I got the idea for the thing. (laughs) You know how lepers just roam the streets of New York? In the 60s, I guess, yes. (laughs) Let me tell you, Giuliani really fucked up this town. Meanwhile, Victor, who has now become Dr. Doom, he's in the suit, is planning to steal... This big, ugly-ass, fake-looking diamond. Yeah, it's like a piece of the aggro crag from Guts. <laughs> it, is it's, the, it's, it is possibly the worst-looking MacGuffin I've seen in a while. Like, it is, it is uh, hideous. I mean, MacGuffin is understating it. <laughs> this is the most useless piece of trash. <laughs> In movie cinema that is used to the dumbest fucking ends. Yeah, yeah. Joseph Culp, again, who, who played uh, Doctor Doom, said the costume was grueling to deal with. Possibly the most challenging acting challenge he's ever had was trying to act in that fucking suit. Really? Because it looks like fucking cray paper and burlap. <laughs> Apparently it was real metal. Joseph, uh, Joseph Culp wanted to go as far as he could with Doctor Doom. He said, I wanted to act... To the fucking fingertips, and and play a character as if he controlled all of time and space, and he said, "I was I was terrified, and I had no idea what I was doing, and I loved every second of it." At, at the same time, a random sewer dwelling leprechaun creature is also planning on stealing the same diamond. And when I was first watching this, I was like, "Who the fuck is this character?" I, Everyone says that uh, he has a jeweler's loop in his eye. Yep, I'm like. And he literally this... looks like Warwick Davis as the Leprechaun. I'm like, I've I've read enough Fantastic Four where I should be able to recognize this villain. Right. And eventually I go like, oh, he's Mole Man. He must be Mole Man. Right. But no. No, he's not. He's an original character named the Jeweler. Yes. Uh, in a subplot which is unnecessary and terrible. And, like, j- actively makes the movie worse. Oh, like, yeah. No. <laughs> like, every second the jeweler is on screen, no offense to the actor, he's doing his best, but every second that the jeweler is on screen on a script level, it is it is like eroding my enjoyment of the film oh, every, yeah. no, every single time I watch it. It's fucking terrible. He is fucking awful. Uh, but the it, what happened was with the jeweler, the Mole Man was originally supposed to appear in the film. In fact, he was supposed to be the main villain. Like I said, they were comic book fans. They wanted to go for the original comic book story. Yeah, and the, Mole the Man, very first Fantastic Four, the Mole Man was the villain. Was the villain. So they were. T- then they realized that because Marvel was in the process of trying to get the rights back, if there was anything that was not strictly a Fantastic Four property, they couldn't touch it. And they weren't sure what that touched and what that didn't. Gotcha. But, and they knew if they asked Marvel, the answer would be no every time, even if they didn't have a leg to stand on. Mm-hmm. So they just said, we know we have Dr. Doom. That is unequivocal. And we don't think we have the Mole Man. So we'll put a Mole Man type character in the movie be- mm. just to reference him. But yeah, he's called the Jeweler. And I'm going to call him the Mole Man for the rest of this episode. Sure. Because fuck that shit. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) 
fuck copyright law. Reed brings his team to the Basker building for a brief briefing. On the way, Ben literally shoulder checks a blind Again. woman off the staircase. <laughs> Another woman is just knocked on her ass. <laughs> I almost thought it was going to be a running joke throughout the movie. <laughs> like, just for what it... Maybe it was Ole Sassoon's, like, that's his Russ Meyer fetish, where it's right. like, instead of chesty ladies, it's women being knocked down. <laughs> that is true. Like, it... Both characters knock down the woman that is their true love. Yes. Case. It's like the writer read the definition for meet cute. It's like... <laughs> That's exactly what I wrote down. <laughs> characters run into each other. Like, yeah. Oh, run into each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ben, I need you to just fucking take her out. <laughs> I want her to see her ancestors. <laughs> and here's another thing that as a fan of the comics... Yeah. Not a... As a person who has read the comics, an, an enthusiast, as as a as a reader, yeah, okay. Um, Alicia meeting Ben Grimm before he's the thing, yes, sort of fucks up what makes that entire relationship right because she she meets Ben while he's still human, obviously here. Yes. And she sort of falls in love with him. Yes. And it's implied that somehow by feeling his face, again, that thing don't you ever ask a blind woman, a blind person to do, by feeling his face, she somehow feels the goodness within himself. Also by the fact that he unnecessarily heaves her off the ground and like lifts her yeah, no, and he, does a full 180. He basically assaults this woman. She's 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 freaking out because he smashed her statue. She's a sculptor. Yeah. This is how she makes her living. And he grabs her, lifts her bodily up the ground and she's like trying to fight him and accidentally feels his face and is like, oh no, true love. Yeah. And he puts her down and he's like, you're always safe with me. And from this point on in the film, despite that this is pretty much the only screen time they get together until the very end of the movie. Yes. They act as if they have been engaged for years for the rest of this film. Mm -hmm. One, one could charitably say, as I said in my notes, that this is part of the fairy tale quality of the film. But, yeah. uh, that is because I really like this movie and I'm making excuses for it, but it, it does suck. But <laughs> in the comics, Alicia meets yeah. Ben Grimm after he becomes a thing. She feels his mm -hmm. face, feels that he's a, a terrible rock monster. Right. And she still falls in love with him. Yeah. Here she has a And prior... she doesn't fall in love with him in spite of the rock face. She yeah. just she just feels his face and she feels like, the kind of person that he she's is. Like, whatever, it's nineteen sixty four and I'm blind, I'm basically considered trash. <laughs> Stan is over there giving us a big thumbs up. I don't think he's giving yeah, us for the no, right reasons. Yeah, I still believe it. <laughs> I saw that movie Ray laugh my ass off. <laughs> Back to hell, Stan. What are you doing here? <laughs> anyway, but yeah, no, I, I, I do, I definitely agree, and that is one of the only things that I will say. That is another reason why I like this movie is because I've seen the Tim Story Fantastic Four film, and it's hard to get worse than that. Uh, okay, in my opinion, anyway, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I've not seen them. I will say that Alicia does in that movie meet Ben after he becomes a thing. And even though there's, she's barely on screen, again, the chemistry between those actors is much better than it is here. Here's my question. Why mm -hmm. do people keep putting fucking Alicia Masters in movie one? Because they want Ben Grimm to have some sort of happy ending at the end instead of 
being as depressed and angry and bitter at the world as he always is. But like, it's it's no, you're right. They shouldn't they shouldn't be trying to squeeze that in, element in. Yeah, the movie. you already have four fucking main characters. <laughs> <laughs> they should they instead of the, how. Do you think the movie would be better or worse if instead of the jeweler, they had the puppet master? In the comics, Alicia Masters is the daughter of a terrifying-looking, psychopathic, mind-controlling villain called the Puppet Master who sculpts marionettes and uses them to control people's minds. Uh, Do you think the film would be better or worse with him in it? I mean, that would be a great second film. That'd be a great way to introduce Alicia Masters. Right, yeah. As far as this movie goes, I don't see how anything could make it worse. (laughs) Well, again, for the second superhero movie, a lot of the times you want the conflict in the second one to be more about the heroes battling themselves. So you could literally have the puppet master come in and pit them against each other. Sure. I think they should have gone with the thinker and his plan involving a monkey, uh, (laughs) accidentally burning evidence that could send him away for years. The fucking thinker, man. (laughs) If my, my big dream for the fantastic four we need to get a movie with the fucking red ghost. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> and his and his three apes. <laughs> I mentioned that in my notes. That instead of the jeweler, like you could have had the fucking red ghost. Oh my god! Oh my god! But yes, okay. So uh, unfortunately, as Alicia leaves, she is spotted by the mole man, who also falls in love with her immediately. She of is course. just that attractive. Uh, she is very attractive. She is. She is. Uh, Unlike the Mole Man, who has, in the comics, an army of giant monsters at his beck and call, Mm -hmm. uh, this Mole Man just has a bunch of smelly homeless people. Yes. Yes. Uh, See, he's he's basically the 90s Ron Perlman version of of the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. He has an underground collection of misanthropes, and he collects people that he considers to be outcasts from society and tells them that they'll have a great life with him sitting in raw sewage and kind of fawning over him, kind of, while he's sitting in a chair. This is, in a movie full of underdeveloped ideas, this is the least developed one, because it's the most original concept the movie has. Yeah. Turns out the diamonds that the bad guys are trying to steal uh, is owned by Reed. The energy in the comic Colossus, and this is where I figured it out. In the comic books, originally, we hadn't really made it to space in any significant way at the time that the comic came out. Mm-hmm. So they were making up signs as they went. Not that if we had gone to the moon, that would have stopped Stanley. Yeah. But they invented this idea that when you go into space, there are these cosmic rays that we don't know what they could do to you, and they give the Fantastic Four their powers. In every sub, in every adaptation, they have had to come up with some way of getting around this. In the Tim Story movies, they go through a. Uh, Space quasar, a giant cloud of weird yeah. shit in space. Uh, in the Fan Four Stick movie, the Josh Trank movie, they go into another dimension, and other dimensions can do anything. So they, it does that to them. In this movie, this is their solution. The comet has some weird magic energy in it, and they're going to use this diamond to collect the energy. The Mole Man ends up stealing the diamond. And uh, replacing it with a fake diamond. That looks exactly like the real exactly one. Exactly fucking like it. It's it's like r- fucking ridiculous. It's, it's just like nailing an- another nail in the coffin and how terrible this prop is. It's... <laughs> <laughs> just use the mold twice. <laughs> 
Well, that's how good the jeweler is. Of course, he can make a, a replica. He's the jeweler. He's a jeweler. Everyone knows the jeweler. Jeweler, the 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 wor- worst enemy of of fucking uh, Julie from from uh, Three Deva Dem. Yes, <laughs> our two favorite Marvel characters, Julie and the Jeweler. Exactly. <laughs> Julie and the Jeweler is also my favorite 60s band. So since they're still trying to collect the energy from Colossus, this is this thing that Reed and Victor tried to do back in the day, and he says that he's still doing this in the memory of Victor to make it up to him and to make his death worthwhile in some way. Uh, That night, Alicia is sculpting Ben's face from memory after uh, feeling his face once. The Mole Man has has, has fallen head over heels in love with her and... Instead of stealing the diamond for whatever other reason he was going to steal it for, he decides he's going to steal it as a wedding gift to Alicia. Dr. Doom is pleased that the Mole Man has stolen the diamond, since he really just wanted to fuck with Reed's day. In true Dr. Doom fashion, he didn't really care if he got the diamond, he just wanted Reed not to have it, so that he could fuck with Reed's day. And now that he realizes that Reed has a fake diamond that won't absorb the energy right, he realizes that it's very likely Reed and his crew will die, and that is good for him. He's so happy. He's so happy. He is giddy as a... My notes are, wow, Victor is amazing. (laughs) Again, I I told Billy this off the podcast. Yeah. I only refer to Doom as Victor in my notes. And I love how jolly he is. Oh man, he is he enjoys his work. He does. <laughs> he's living the dream. Right. It's yeah. not work if you enjoy it. Yeah. He's he's like a Michael Clark Duncan villain. Like <laughs> you know how Michael Clark Duncan always plays like he played the Kingpin in Daredevil like he was just the happiest crime boss in, in New York City. That's exactly what Doom is. He's he just loves his work. Here's my question. Okay, go ahead. What is the insurance like? To take four civilians right. into fucking space. At least Ben, it, it's established, the, one of the only things they establish in this movie, that Ben has a history in the Air Force. That he used to be an Air Force pilot, so he does know his shit. One of the only characters who knows his shit. But yeah, at least two civilians, like, the insurance must be insane. Yeah. That on top of the fact that Reed owns an entire building in New York City, like, he must be fucking loaded. Yeah. I I can't even come up with a joke of how Reed would come up with this money. <laughs> no, I think owning a building in New York is how he does it because like I guess property prices and living expenses, office expenses in in New York are fucking insanity. So, yeah, he's he is uh living off the working class in a big way. You know what? I think canonically, mm-hmm. uh the Baxter building also houses like Chuck E. Cheese headquarters. Does it really? <laughs> No. Fantastic Four comics are so random, for all I know, that could have been in some comic. I approached the Chuck E. Cheese people. (laughs) Of course he did, Stan. I said, what if Daredevil loved pizza? (laughs) You know how those blindies are. (laughs) They said, isn't that Ninja Turtles? (laughs) I said, what the fuck is Ninja Turtles? It's 1968. (laughs) They said, we have a seer on staff. (gasps) And then I played my ocarina. <laughs> One of my favorite lines from the basket case episode I had to cut out was uh, Stan Lee and the Ocarina of Time. <laughs> uh, so the FF go into space in the fakest spaceship yeah. uh, that I've ever seen, matched, oh, it exceeded by the 
worst spacesuits you will see in anything. Yes. They are literally wearing motorcycle helmets with car heat shields taped to the bottom of them. Yeah. It is egregious. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) Hear about filmmakers like making Super 8 movies when they were... (laughs) Kids. Oh my god, that is exactly what it looks like. Yeah. It looks like something you would staple together in your dad's garage. Yeah. Like, this garage is my spaceship now. And here you are singing the praises of Olesa soon. <laughs> I still love this movie. It's That's it's, your problem. I know, I know. So, of course, the fake diamond, being not at all like the real diamond, yeah. doesn't absorb the radiation right, and causes the ship to... I guess blow up, but this oh, is... Oh, fuck my diamond! <laughs> this is expressed to the audience because they can't afford to blow up their garage. No. Uh, so this is expressed to the audience through avant-garde Windows Media Player presets. <laughs> like They almost enter into a, a Stargate from 2001. Yeah, I was That's where I say. thought it was going, but then right. it immediately stopped. Yeah. And then it, everybody woke up completely fine covered in wreckage. Right. No, they they literally they they show this this these flashing images just long enough that you start to think are they going for 2001 and yeah. then they cut it off right before you finish that sentence and suddenly they're just in a field. And there suddenly is... it's the opening of loss. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. We, and we immediately cut to Doctor Doom laughing and hooting and hollering about Reed being dead. This is his best birthday ever. I wish this Victor Von Doom mm-hmm. played the Pharaoh in the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments. Oh boy. <laughs> so it is written, so it shall be done. I can't like even me trying to fake camp. I can't. I can't accurately express to you how good this performance is. It's <laughs> it's difficult. It's transcendent. Um, if you've ever seen the film Waiting for Guffman, <laughs> imagine uh, Christopher Guest's character. Mm-hmm. I think it's Corky Sinclair playing Victor Von Doom, <laughs> playing a supervillain. Wow. Uh, I have not seen that movie, but that's that's still that's still great. Yeah, like the comics, despite crashing from space, they are all completely unharmed. Yeah, they're completely unharmed, and like the debris is just like laid on top of them. Just, just yeah, it's just around. Some of it's on fire, but nowhere near them. Like they, this is the most unbelievable crash. But again, it's true to the comics. This yeah. is exactly what happens. Nobody, true. They don't even get a scratch. Some of their clothes is ripped up, and that's true in this movie. They some of their clothes are ripped up. Reed has some dirt on his face. Yeah, Johnny is is not only fine but up and running around like a fucking jackrabbit. Yeah, the performance of Johnny Storm in this movie is abs- to the max. Like he he is he is sc- screaming and yelling almost every line with exuberance. I made this note. Yeah, the actor for Johnny. Yes, is the Seth Green. They. <laughs> It's the Seth Green they sent you <laughs> in the early 90s uh-huh. when the real Seth Green was too hot. 
That's a very good explanation yeah. of, of the performance for Johnny in this movie. Reed, at least in this movie, unlike in the comics, in the comics are just like, well, lucky we got out of that. In this movie, at least, Reed turns around and says, doesn't it seem weird that we all survived without even a scratch? Yeah. yeah. No, they they do try to hang a little bit of a lantern on it. But, they, uh... they try. Johnny is the first one to realize that they have not been completely unaffected by the radiation. Yeah, he can, uh, he can sneeze fire. He sneezes and a bush goes on fire in an obvious allusion to the Ten Commandments. Exactly. <laughs> so and I, I made the note. Yeah. Johnny can sneeze fire? <laughs> I guess that makes sense. <laughs> also, budget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then my next note is, why, why, why did they try to make this movie? <laughs> I'm assuming you said that when you saw Reed's stretching powers. <laughs> I mean, it was a constant thought. Yeah. I just, it's, the Fantastic Four is such an ambitious endeavor. It's a comic book concept. They're comic book superheroes. These movies cost a lot of money for a reason. It's also... It's also a Jack Kirby concept. That man breathed space dust like it just it imagination poured out of that man's fingers like like magic not only that again you have four main characters that you need to establish you need to establish a villain yeah you need to (sighs) apparently also establish a secondary villain and a girlfriend for the thing you need to have budget to make this work you need to like it's It's science this is a fucking foolish endeavor yeah in the yeah. early 90s, at any time, it's a mm-hmm. hard script to write. Yeah. No, it is, this was an impo- This was basically an impossible task that they yeah. were given. To, to take six months and under a million dollars to make uh, a science fiction fantasy superhero movie mm-hmm. based on one of the most, at the time, famous comic book uh, properties in existence. Uh, Susan, it turns out, has been with them the entire time and has just been invisible. Uh, she turns visible slowly and then trips, accident, almost stabbing her brain through one of the only pieces of dangerous shrapnel on the ground. And Reed catches her with his uh, terrifying stretch stretchy arm. arms, uh, which are probably the worst realized effect in the movie. But frankly, I don't think anyone's ever made that look good outside of animation. Yeah, it's hard. Um, the CGI in the Tim Story movie was terrifying. I haven't seen the Josh Trank version, but I imagine it wasn't any better. I didn't mind the stretching. You didn't mind the stretching? It didn't bother me. It didn't bother me either, because again, I just when I watch this movie, I'm just along for the ride. I just enjoy I enjoy the camp, but it it doesn't look good. I mean, no, but it yeah. looks acceptable for ninety four. That's true. I think. Yeah. Definitely acceptable for under a million dollars. Ben seems perfectly normal. On again, and then again, unlike the comic where even before he turns into the thing. He starts just abusing Reed yeah. immediately after coming out of the rocket and talking about how uh, a Sue should be with him, which comes out of fucking nowhere is never referenced again in the comic continuity. No. Uh, again, very true to Marvel Comics. Yes. Ben is a is a emotionally unstable monster in the first issue of Fantastic Four. But uh, in this one, he's very sweet. He's being very protective of everyone, being very on the ball, trying to make Reed be realistic about their chances yeah. and, and be practical about getting out of there. Granted, yeah. if I were in a uh, spacecraft explosion, yes. I would be mad at the person in charge of the project as well. Oh, I would also be. But again, 
Ben in this movie being super chill about it. Johnny almost immediately gains control over his fire powers to the point where he can set up a fire for them for the night. They make camp. Uh, He holds a a ball of fire in his hands at one point that starts laughing in Dr. Doom's voice. I was really excited for this because I was like, (laughs) are they going to make Johnny this weird pyromaniacal creep? (laughs) Nothing that creative, unfortunately. And I was like, that's a great take on the character. (laughs) I want to see that. Like, um... But before they, before they, um, I always interpreted it as being, he suddenly is able to look into the fires of Mount Doom from Lord of the Rings and, and just Sauron is in there going, I see you, but apparently not. Uh, before this, <laughs> Reed is super condescending. Like when he suggested they like hunker down for the night. Yeah. He almost goes to like Johnny, like claps him on the shoulder and is like, I think some of us are pretty tuckered out, huh? <laughs> he almost, yeah. He's, he, when he literally, he does clap him on the shoulder and he says, Hey, Johnny, I uh, think you can keep your fire going for the rest of the night, which already looks like, seems like a come on to me. Yeah. But yes, he, he can hear Doom laughing in the, his fire hand, and that kind of freaks him out, as it would anyone. Yeah. And if this was supposed to be something, it's, it's not. not. <laughs> Doom learns somehow that the four are still alive and is just devastated. He's just, he's he's screaming and yelling about it. Uh, and, he, and he tells his people to, to capture them, bring him to his lab. He needs to find out what happened up there and how they survived. Yeah, and this is a very elaborate plot, which is mm-hmm. fitting for Victor. For Victor Von Doom, uh, yes. I'm surprised the that there were... most extra of all villains to Alicia's studio. She's all but making out with the Ben statue she has made. And here's where we learned that she worked on the project that sent these four into space. That's probably why she was in the Baxter building when he body-checked yeah, no, her that's off the staircase. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe they should have explained that at any point. Right. There were pickup shots that were not completed for this movie. So, okay. So maybe some of those were going to explain some of this, but there's so much missing in this script. Like... Yeah. Um, those should have been, like, uh, now there's primary a, photography. Those should have been... Um, there's a lot that goes into post-production that people don't understand. Like, it's not... The film never is never shot all at one time. There are always pickup shots. There are always extra things that people want to add on. And in any universe where this movie was taken seriously by the higher-ups, that's what they would have done. Gotcha. But clearly... Again, the movie was made to fill out a fucking contract obligation. Yes. They they had six months to do it, and they did it. The people on the ground did the best that they could, but nobody gave a shit. No. Yeah, they were not given the studio space to do this. But Alicia seems to be working on memorials for the Fantastic Four. Yes. Who are the heroes of the people because they fucked up their mission. <laughs> and again... These uh, fucking dipshits blew themselves up. <laughs> And now they're goddamn Sully Sullenberger. <laughs> the movie takes the weird effort to establish things that I wouldn't have asked and not things that I am desperately asking when watching this movie. Yeah. So, for instance, in order for blind Alicia to know what the four astronauts looked like, they deliver her basically uh, life masks of all of the uh, of all of the the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. and I would have just accepted that they had those. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have questioned it. Yeah. But in the movie, they make the point of having the dumb delivery boy who's wearing a baseball cap with Thor's wings on it for some reason. No, uh, I thought it was like the wings of Mercury. Like that was the delivery. And oh, like, that makes sense. We're okay. super fast. But he comes in and he says, 
these were the these were the busts that they used to fit the space helmets, right? I'm like, I don't need to know that shit. Yeah. You haven't told me who the fucking jeweler is yet. Also, we don't need to know that the world is mourning these <laughs> four civilians who flew themselves into space and got blown the fuck up. The only reason why... No this... one is making a memorial to that dude who was trying to prove the Earth was flat and crashed his goddamn rocket plane. The only reason the scene is here is so that Alicia can learn that Ben Grimm is one of the supposedly dead astronauts yes. and can mourn him based on the incredible love story that they've had. But even that becomes unnecessary with the way that the character ends up developing later on. Like this yeah. is one of the last times we see her until Ben rescues her later on. But and yeah, I didn't write enough context notes to know where this comes in. Okay. But I think it's the delivery boy who says these people deserve the best. Yeah. He did say that. Yeah. <laughs> Do they? The people on the Challenger deserve the best. Yes. <laughs> sure. These idiots. They, like, maybe not. <laughs> uh, mostly civilians. Some dude was in the Air Force, which... Right. I don't know what the standards are, but I imagine any fucking yokel can get into the goddamn Air Force. Ben Grimm got into the fucking Air Force. <laughs> well, he was brilliant. He was in the same class as Victor and Reed. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I guess the difference between those two is that he's modest. <laughs> He's very modest. So the moment we, we in the middle of the scene of Alicia touching the faces to figure out how she's going to sculpt these people, we cut in the middle of the scene over to the mole man announcing to his people that he's decided to have a queen. Alicia's going to be his queen. Yeah. And they need to go and kidnap her for him. So and the bad guys come in, push Alicia around a lot. Yeah. And then finally they get, they, they really opening a fresh Prince of Bel-Air her. <laughs> That's right. And they, they knock her out with knockout gas. And in one of the most baffling shot choices in the movie, we see them knocking her out with knockout gas in a POV shot. Yeah. From a blind woman. I don't like being put in the position where I have to defend this movie. <laughs> so I won't be. Okay. You're right. It's dumb. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. I'm like, wow. Somebody was just like, sure, that's a shot we can use. We we have we have less time. To we do can this put a than, hand in front of a camera. We have less time to do this than most high schools have to put on their fucking play. So anyway, Doom's people disguised as military. We don't find this out until later, but yes. Doom's people disguised as the military arrive pretending to rescue the four. Just at that moment, Ben's transformation kicks in and he off screen turns into the thing. Yes. Uh, shows up on camera. Again, his his voice, he is still voiced by the same actor, but the suit acting is is a different guy. And they they deepened the voice a little bit. Suit is great. It is. It's really good. It's really good. This um, is like the Ninja Turtle movies level almost of animatronics. Sure. Yeah. It's it's yeah. really well it's made. I think surprisingly good. Yeah. Considering the movie it, that surrounds it, Ben notices transformation right after everyone else does in my first laugh out loud moment maybe not my first but the first where i noted it yeah he screams to the heavens no and it's hilarious yeah 
We then get a series of comical vignettes where uh, they are in Doom's lab and a, yes. a comical scientist is trying to get blood samples from them. And it's difficult and he's spooked. We then get the reveal, which I've already spoiled, that the scientists are working and these fake military are actually Latverian and they're working for Dr. Doom. And here's another point of contention that I had with this film. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Dr. Doom's uh, line of inquiry seems to be... Would a guy with all the powers of the Fantastic Four be strong? And the scientist says, yes. <laughs> that Which would be very powerful. Also, another sidelong reference to the comics. Right. Where it's like, is he going to make a super scroll? Doom is talking about how he needs the real diamond that the jeweler stole. Yeah, he, now that And he has the great line, now, I have a need for his diamond now. <laughs> Just like the Wishmaster, he's never met a syllable he can't over-enunciate. Mm. <laughs> also, this motherfucker makes a meal out of the word diamond. 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 <laughs> Wish granted. And here's where I noted, here's where we first hear the, the, the name The Jeweler. Yes, finally. And, and I go, time. wait, so he's not Mole Man. <laughs> he's The Jeweler. Yes. Scary. <laughs> And I also made the note that we are now two-thirds of the way through this movie, yes. and there is no plot in sight. <laughs> Not a single one. But yeah, so, again, somehow Reed and Victor, as college kids, had the hubris to believe that this completely undefinable source of energy that they somehow stumbled onto... That according to the canon of this movie, not a single other person on the planet knew about. Yes. Even all these years after. They thought that in their commissary area with a fucking lightning rod, stolen from the set of Carnosaur, that they could that they could harness this energy they had no idea what they were doing with and figure out what they were going to do with it later. Because again, they had no idea what this energy was going to be for. Yeah. It was very lucky that it happened to not be lethal radiation, and when it bounced off the diamond, it just gave them all superpowers. And now Doom, now that Doom knows that this can give you superpowers, he wants to absorb it into himself and become the world's biggest strong boy. Yes. But this was very lucky on their part. No, it's <laughs> almost like the movie's poorly written. <laughs> But that is impossible. It is. Right. All movies are good. All movies are good. I've never met a movie I didn't like. But uh, the Fantastic Four Mountain Escape. Yes. And yes. very true to the comics, Sue is about as useful here as she is in the comics. I would argue is... that she's more useful than she is in the first, like, 20 issues of Fantastic Four in this scene. I think 20 is being more than generous. <laughs> Like she, she didn't come she up takes, with her force bubble thing until like near closer to fifty. Okay, but she she takes point on this mission. They all okay. Well, first we have to talk about the laziest part of the movie, possibly, and that is saying a lot. But they are in their jail cell, and they have been told we we don't get to see this, but we are told by the characters that off screen. They were told that they need to keep them there because they're contagious yes. with superpowers, I guess. They don't buy this, of course, and they decide that they're going to escape. So some of Doom's henchmen come in in hazmat suits, keeping up the story that they're contagious. And the Fantastic Four knock them all out. 
in the most elaborate and incredible fight scene that has ever been uh, choreographed or shot that we do not get to see because instead mm. the they the editor just takes the frame and spins it around. Yep, it's a very play. pow pow pow. Now we're in the costumes. Yeah, and now they're in the costumes. But yeah, as they escape, uh, Sue takes point. She turns invisible, knocks out the guard, which and she comes visible, shaking her fist like ah, god damn it. And I love that because one of the things I do really love about early Fantastic Four is that they're just also bad at their jobs. And I know that that is not... What do you mean they're bad at their jobs? They're the Fantastic Four! Well, frankly, Stan, this is one of the only times I'm going to be complimentary to you, so you might want to shut the fuck up. But <laughs> the the idea behind the Fantastic Four was supposed to be that they were a, uh, a dysfunctional superhero team. So not only did that they argue with each other, but also they're just a bunch of guys, nerds who got superpowers. So Reed is an asshole. Johnny is an emotional whiz-bang. Ben is depressed and moody all the time. And Sue is a wallflower. None of them know how to be action men. The closest is Ben, and that's just because he's angry at everyone. And he always and he's always punching the wrong people. So, that is something that I felt like in this scene especially, and also a later bit where they're sneaking back into Doom's castle, and Ben says, uh, great going into a trap, walking right into a trap, isn't it? And Reed says, I don't know, I've never done that before. I did love that line. <laughs> I really love that line. I just enjoy how completely amateur at being a superhero team that they are. Sure. Sure, yeah. I'll agree with that. Um, I don't know if that was intentional. I have no idea. I don't even know if it was intentional when Stanley was writing it, and I'm back to insulting him again. I don't know if it was intentional when they turned the cameras on for this movie. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, I turned on the movie during rehearsal. Oh fuck, we weren't supposed to record, now all this film's going to waste. <laughs> Hope no one edits it for like 80 hours. <laughs> As they're trying to escape, the Fantastic Four find themselves in a room... With a big-ass death ray that Doctor Doom has been tinkering on in his spare time. Like you do when you're Emperor Zerg. Exactly. Yeah. This is the first real scene of Doctor Doom we get to have. We've had little bits and bobs of him throughout the movie. This is where he really gets to start strutting his stuff. He comes in and starts monologuing about being Doctor Doom. Whipping his cape all around. He brings in all these people all dressed like him that are his... his henchman with a bunch of machine guns all and ben turns to the camera and says it's clobbering time yes he does which i appreciated i love that i love that i, I love that catchphrase yep it's yeah. great and he says it three times in this movie which is awesome i i want to see an au ben Grimm <laughs> who's a baker oh no and whenever he's baking he says it's cobbler in time because <laughs> he only makes cobblers <laughs> I was. I thought. Oh, uh, you thought he was a shoemaker. I thought he was a shoemaker. Like, yeah. he's, he's, like he's, he, he, no, he's one of the elves who helps the shoemaker. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's he sneaks in. He, he has his pointy shoes. He has his pointy hat. And he's, <laughs> he's with all the other like two foot elves. And he's like, it's gobbler in time. And he's just hammering nails mm -hmm. straight through his fucking rock hand as he tries to like <laughs> hammer a soul. This is where the rest of the FF comes off. In this scene, the rest of the FF comes off as really weak sauce because Ben does everything for them. They hide, 
because they're not bulletproof, and Ben deflects a bunch of bullets. He baits, basically beats up the entire room of thugs on his own. Well, Sue turns invisible <clears throat> and gets two men to shoot each other. Yeah, Sue draws first blood in this movie. She is super chill with seeing what watching two men die, by yeah, the way. Yeah, that's the first time we see anyone die in this movie, and it's Sue who does it, which is crazy. Yeah, and everyone's super chill with all the fucking All the fucking murder, going yeah. On. Reed trips a couple of people, but that's all he does. Sue draws blood. Yes. But in the meantime, Johnny is trying to burn a hole through the wall so they can escape. But doesn't end up working too well, and Ben just ends up punching the hole in the wall for them anyway. But they're able to escape. That's the point. And apparently Latveria is in a suburb of New York because they are home within minutes. And yeah, Latveria is in Queens. <laughs> Spider-Man is technically from Latveria. Oh, and in there are three moments in this movie that, to me, are the epitome of this version of Doom. Sure. This is the number three spot for me, where after the room has been completely knocked out or killed by the various members of the Fantastic Four and they've escaped, Doom comes back in the room, casually saying, So, my friends! And sees the entire... In a scene Mel Brooks would have directed, sees the entire room out cold... Looks around and just says, huh. And I wrote down, this movie is a gift. So Reed realizes that not only did the comet have this energy that gave them superpowers, it was a magic comet. Yeah. That had the intelligence to look into their souls, see their greatest personality flaws, and turn them into strengths. Reed is always stretching himself too much. Yeah. So he, he stretches himself too thin, so he has stretchy powers. Sue is super shy and a wallflower, so she has invisibility powers. Johnny's a hothead, so he has flame powers. And Ben is always looking to use his strength to solve his problems when he could use his mind. It's and a muscle too, Ben. Let me tell you something. Okay. I am so glad that these traits were so well established in these characters. It's I know, like, right? Yeah. I wish... Woven like a quilt. <laughs> I wish at some point Reed had turned to Sue and said... This reminds me of the time we fell into that nest of Gundarks. So I really knew that they had been through some stuff together. You fell into that, Reed, and I rescued you. <laughs> uh, also, who the fuck cares? The psychological <laughs> reasons behind their fucking powers. It's a goddamn superhero story, and we're like 20 minutes from the fucking end. <laughs> No one gives a shit about mm -hmm. these things you haven't established. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Give me fucking more uh, Dr. Doom as fucking divine. But Ben gets pissy about something. Ben has transitioned officially into comic book Ben character where he is Marr! constantly bitter and angry at everyone around him because of his own self-loathing. And he decides to, again, not built up by his character before he transformed. He's just suddenly comic book Ben. But Ben goes walkabout on the yes. streets of uh, New York, presumably. And it suddenly turns into basket case. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing is... <laughs> yeah, there uh, he is. He's on the streets. Yes. <laughs> but he's just going up to random women. Yes. And he knows he looks like a monster. And they yes. run away screaming because they don't know who the fucking Fantastic Four are. Right. And I'm just going like, Ben, what the fuck do you think's going to happen? So this scene was the last shot shot in the movie. At this point... Production had wrapped, post-production was going on, and they knew they had these pickup shots, and they were trying to get any shot that they could possibly do. So basically that meant, because they didn't have the actors anymore, any shot 
that involved a costume. Okay. So this is actually not any of the other actors who've played the thing up to this point. This is the assistant casting director in the thing costume. They went out with a camera and no permits, literally like basket case. <laughs> and they just assaulted random women on the street. Basically. <laughs> no, I think they knew the two women, but they they literally just went around in the thing costume trying to find anywhere where there was light. And they they have there in the scene you can see there's a giant like light up billboard in the background. They had enough light there so they shot a quick scene of of the thing disturbing some women yeah and, and then not being happy with the results of his terrible right. encounter because they needed to, there there needs to be some scene that establishes how he gets from the baxter building to the next place we see him and which also is, we need to feel bad for his right. monster ass his monster ass yeah so the next the very next thing that we see and here's where i noted that this movie needs yancey street that would have been incredible if there was like a, a like a little at the a, moment when he was a at his lowest tur- ninja turtle like street gang that comes up is like who's this motherfucker and they just start throwing cans at his head. No, it yeah. needs to be Los Locos kick your ass. No, it needs to be a thing where like Ben Grimm is at is at his lowest point. Yeah, and then some like nine year old little rascals <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Fucking straight out of like the 1940s, like right. Jack Kirby's own scrapping gangs. Oh my god! They're uh, based they on come the up news, the Newsboy Legion. Just yeah. comes up. <laughs> they spray Ben Grimm with seltzer. <laughs> Give him a hot foot. Oh my god, that would have been in, in great. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been a great scene. And then Ben Grimm just kills a bunch of children. <laughs> I think we're talking about the Stuart Gordon version of this film again. But yeah, so the next scene, the thing is randomly hiding in an alley behind a restaurant. He scares some poor restaurant worker, yeah, and then gets ado- almost immediately adopted by the, the jeweler's the, gang. The jeweler's gang, the mole man, the mole man's brood. Hey, you look like a piece of garbage. Join our piece of garbage <laughs> gang. Like in the comics, Sue makes the Fantastic Four costumes for them. Mm-hmm. Although in this movie, they have not decided that they're a superhero team yet. Nor have they decided that they're going to keep their powers. Nor were there four of them. Nor are there four of them, because Ben just left. Yeah. But she decides to make the Fantastic Four costumes anyway. They are very close to the comic book outfits. Yeah, they look like shit. They look like shit, just like the comic book outfits do. The the director... Most of the director's job, I got the sense from the documentary, was to be a cheerleader, to tell whenever... (laughs) Whenever piss started falling from the sky, to tell the actors it was rain, okay. and to just just to keep everybody's spirits up and keep it going. Having seen the costumes, which in the shitty quality version that we see them, they look all right. They mm-hmm. look like crap, but they look all right in real life. And if we ever get an HDA an HD print of this movie, we won't. We won't. There was like visible stitching all over the fucking thing, like it was literally homemade. And the actress playing Sue was like. Oh, these look bad. And the director said, "No, no, no, no. You made them. You made them. You with made love. them. Of course they're shit." <laughs> also, the costume department made all of the comic book stuff that they needed to wear, but any time anyone's wearing civilian clothes, that's just their clothes. Okay. That's that's how cheap this movie was. So the Mole Man's crew tries to recruit Ben, and he's like, whatever, sure. Yeah. Not like I have an apartment somewhere in the city. Where did I live before this? The crew show off Ben to the Mole Man. He accepts him into his Morlock gang. Yep, the Mole Man's super hype about having a monster. Uh, yeah, he's up to... He's, and again, he keeps saying all this stuff, like, you'll live a life that you could never have lived out there. And I'm like, you guys have a 
three by ten room and you're all sitting in raw sewage. Where you, what <laughs> life do you have? No, this is like the lost. This is the lost boys. This is. <laughs> do you have a stock exchange down here? What is this? <laughs> But I fucking hated this subplot so much. Oh my god, it's it's the worst. Why it's the a, fuck does any of this exist? The only thing that makes it worth it is how it ends. I guess. It, because it involves more doom. Sure. Reed, Sue, and Johnny, meanwhile, are doing some detective work and realize, somehow, I guess they have a sample of Dr. Doom's handwriting somehow, I don't know, but they realize that Dr. Doom is Victor. Somehow. <laughs> they trace the money and figure out it's fucking Doom. <laughs> Dr. Doom, meanwhile, has decided that the Mole Man is too powerful for his two goons to take on, so he decides to do it himself. And he... <laughs> Dr. Doom is threatened by a shithead <laughs> who lives underneath the streets of New York. Exactly. A literal shithead. What a fucking maroon. <laughs> That's a word that doesn't get used often enough. I use it a lot. Good. Dr. Doom shows up in the Mole Man's lair. They start shooting at him with machine guns they suddenly have. And Dr. Doom, rather than just standing there letting the bullets bounce off him like the thing did earlier, starts flexing. <laughs> he just starts He just starts expressing himself through interpretive dance. This man. This man. <laughs> He needs to be president of the world. Give him the world. He earned it. He then pulls in his own guards and shoots all the the Morlocks, which I've now decided to call them. Yeah, they're uh, basically Morlocks. They're basically the Morlocks. He, go, he goes over to where the diamond is, and the Mole Man steps in front of it with Alicia holding a gun to her head. And in my second favorite Doctor Doom mov moment of the movie, he says, leave the diamond or, or or I'll kill the girl. And Doctor Doom looks at her, looks back at the Mole Man and says, so? <laughs> Which makes sense. It's a good... And then, Who the fuck is that woman to him? And then the Mole Man says, I'll do it, I swear. He said, don't let me keep you. <laughs> this is Doctor Doom. <laughs> you cannot tell me otherwise get to diamond and i get to see a blind woman die <laughs> sounds great just another thursday for dr doom <laughs> this is latvian entertainment at its finest <laughs> you've heard of the annual shooting of the blonde <laughs> i'm very opposite of hitler here i think all blondes should be eradicated this is when Ben steps up to the plate and we get a second, it's clobberin' time. Mm -hmm. But at this point, Dr. Doom immediately realizes, oh shit, you like, you care about Alicia? Well, I'll just point my gun at her. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Doom, very pragmatic. Yeah. He's, uh, he took a lot of, he did some Groundlings classes. Yes. He was in an improv troupe at uh, Fantastic Four College. <laughs> Fantastic Four College. I assume that's where they got the name. That's that's, that's where they got the yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. So the the that's why she made that reference. To exactly. Them when they were leaving the house. Their mascot of Fantastic Four mascot College. Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four. Yeah. The 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 mascot was just a big number four. They yeah. kept running around. Very confusing school. Uh, but yeah. So <laughs> Doom. So, so Alicia yells to Ben, hearing Ben's voice and hearing Doctor Doom refer to him as Ben. She says, "Ben, I love you." And I love you too, Adrian. And the power of her love turns him back into Ben. Mm -hmm. And again, this is one of those things where is it awful? Yes. But Stanley had this weird habit. I don't know if it was Stan or Jack. Somebody in the early. 
issues, like the first ten issues of, of Fantastic Four, even sometimes further on, constantly had been turning back and forth from the thing to human, just at random shitty times, with no reason, just to add some weird pathos to a scene. And they never explained it. I mostly remember because there's a runner of like, we're going to turn you back, Ben. Yeah. So every so often an issue would open up with like Reed experimenting on Benjamin Grimm and him like turning back briefly and then, oh man, I'm a fucking rock monster again. Most of the time there wasn't even that much of an explanation. Sometimes he would just be like really angry at Johnny over something Johnny did and he would be about to punch Johnny so hard he was going to actually hurt him this time and then he suddenly turns back into Ben and then he just regular punched a kid and then he no he doesn't punch him he gets so distracted he's looking at himself in the mirror and Johnny escapes and he's like who do what do I care Johnny I don't care about you I'm the human again and then he immediately turns back into the thing my life doesn't have to be defined by the feuds I have with children <laughs> an important uh, moment of clarity narrowly avoided by Ben Grimm but yeah, so the the love of Alicia turns Ben back into the thing, and he, of course, now completely vulnerable to the machine guns, runs out. Uh, yes. he, he escapes. Doctor Doom starts inspecting Alicia's teeth, <laughs> and decides she has the right dentistry to make a great hostage, and takes her back to Latveria. At some point around this time, yeah, I wrote the note. God, I want this movie to be over. Uh, so that's where I'm at at this right, point. Right, right. The funniest bit in the fu- entire movie, and of course it's a Doom scene, my favorite Doom scene, my favorite scene ever in any movie, comes at this point where Doctor Doom, again, made it to Latveria in under a second. So yeah. either he has teleportation powers or, again, it's a fucking suburb of New York. But he goes up to his super Doctor Doom Skype uh, beams the signal into the Baxter building and tells them that they have 12 hours to hand themselves over and save New York from being blown up by his death ray. And he... We've called him a hand talker before this. This is where he goes all the way with it. Yeah. And he illustrate. He makes up his own sign language... And every word he illustrates with a little hand motion in front of his face. Yeah. To the point where the crowning moment of cringe, he says, you have 12, and spells it out in the air. 12 hours to hand yourselves over to me. It is, uh... It's... It is baffling. (laughs) Yeah. No. Um... (laughs) You can only imagine, like... Ole Sassoon should have been, like... I love it. <laughs> Let me see it smaller. <laughs> Pull it back. You should have, they didn't have time for second takes in this movie probably. They were on the Frank Sinatra system. Uh, yeah. The, you uh, I can only imagine Joseph Culp doing this movie, getting in the costume and being like, "Man, no one's going to be able to see me. How will I express anything?" I know. <laughs> I'll let my fingers tell the story. <laughs> I bet Joseph Culp was a big theater actor. Because as we've discussed before, yeah, movies are about eyes, yeah. about faces. <laughs> Theater is about arms. That is entirely correct. Yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely correct. And yeah, although I'm not sure this sign language bit would even go on stage. Oh no! Again, a good dir- <laughs> any director should say, "Love it, pull Let it me back, see less. pull it back, brother." 
but then uh, the Fantastic Four, after Ben comes back. Ben comes back and he says, oh, he stole my girlfriend. And they're like, oh, cool. And then they jet off in the Fantastic Car, which they, they have for some they fucking suddenly reason. suddenly have. Again, this, this is the, if you're not familiar with the Fantastic Four, a lot of people aren't. This is the equivalent of spending an entire movie with Bruce Wayne trying to figure out how he's going to avenge his parents' death. And some t- suddenly he gets some sort of threat from the Joker, and then he has the Batmobile. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. Except the Batmobile fits four people and can fly. <laughs> and this is the shot I mentioned where suddenly we see the outside of the Baxter building and it just has a, a Fantastic Four logo on the building. Fuck going into space. Reed Richards invented a flying car. <laughs> That again, should be the movie. The movie should be Reed Richards and his child bride and their flying car. <laughs> a Fantastic Four story. Yes. There's so many... Th- you could have solved so many problems with this movie with one line right at the beginning of the movie. And he's like, hey... In the scene with him and Ben, Ben's like, man, you remember those college days? Now look at you. You sold the patent on that flying car. Sure. And you are fucking loaded now. And immediately I have so many fewer questions. Yeah. They all decide to go stop Victor. They just have the fantastic car. They wander into Doom's fortress. And here we get the line. I love, the, yeah. I love walking to a trap, don't you? I don't know. I've never done it before. <laughs> um, and uh, and they show exactly how bad they are at this because they are they instantly step into very specific spots on the floor that Doom has rigged with force shields, and they get trapped. This Island Earth style in in Four Shields. And roundabouts here, I was fully checked out. (laughs) I'll be dead fucking honest with you. Okay. I I don't blame you. I mean, it's it's not a good movie. Doom goes up to them and and admits to being Victor, although he says it's a name from the past. And starts monologuing once again about how everything that's ever gone wrong in his life is Reed's fault. I wish Sue would have said... Dad? And then he, he turns and Sue, like he just noticed. Or just like, no, Victor Von Doom from college. <laughs> I that's, was that's Reed's way friend. Yeah. I was bad at math. <laughs> I'm a... sure you heard. <laughs> it was all over the student newsletter. Idiot blows himself up from being bad at arithmetic. How the fuck are getting to college anyway? I'm sure Reed talks about me all the time. Wasn't same class as Ben Grimm, so must have been an idiot. <laughs> Reed's mentioned me, right? Victor? Victor Von Doom? <laughs> Ruler of Latveria? <laughs> he mentioned he went to he went to school with the ruler of a country, right? <laughs> Reed mentioned me once, right? <laughs> Victor! <laughs> Von Doom! <laughs> you must have remembered that he knew a man named Von Doom. It's not like you meet so many Von Dooms on the street. <laughs> Maybe he called me Vicky. <laughs> he used to do that sometimes, you know, in our private consultations. <laughs> Doomsy. <laughs> Vicky Von Dooms. <laughs> Doobiekins. I'm the ruler of the country! <laughs> but yeah, Doom tells that he's going to take all of their powers and bring them into himself, and by the hand motions he makes during this, I imagine he's going to put them right in his belly. <laughs> he's rubbing it. He's... This becomes a Vore movie. <laughs> sure. 
he he shoots the ray, which is just a generic ray gun thing, at them to absorb their powers. And in another incredibly lazy moment, uh, Reed is able to find out a way to get under the force field. Yeah, with his stretchy he just leg. puts his foot under. Yeah, he do the stanky leg, and he stretches it out, kicks over the laser gun, and that's all she wrote. They're yeah. all able to escape and start an incredibly cheap and silly fight scene. It's terrible. Yeah. It's basically um, just the fight scene we had earlier, but with more scenes of the other people other than Ben doing shit. And dumber. And and dumber. And more nonsensical. Yes. There's a part where there's a fundamental misunderstanding of how punches work. What, what, what happens? Uh, Reed punches a guy. Oh, that's right. And then there's another guy close to that guy, and Reed just like... Continues the punch after making contact, <laughs> yeah, which Reed, is not how punches work. They have like a really 90s comedy shot where Reed stretches his arm out to punch a guy, and we get like a point of view shot of the punch flying around the room and punching various people, which is a pretty good way of handling that effect, I thought. Johnny's just throwing fireballs at people not caring who they kill or maim. Sue, out of fucking nowhere, develops her force shield abilities. Really? Because, again, I was not paying attention. I know. My it, next it note was... Once. It happens once. The thing finally saves Alicia. Finally. Finally. They introduce each themselves to they each other. They finally meet. They finally meet. And uh, they basically... They, both actors almost orgasm just by touching each other's hands. Reed chases down Doom. And Doom, in the only way... Has the only way of fighting left to him from being so camp. Press on nails. That's right. He ejects long fingernails from his his costume like Catwoman and tries to cut a bitch, and Reed just punches him out. Johnny finally gets the chance to flame on entirely. In the comics, he sets his entire body ablaze and flies through the air instead of just shooting little fireballs here. So this is when he finally gets to do that because Dr. Doom has shot a death ray out, and apparently Johnny Storm's fire powers can deflect death rays. I don't know how he knows this. But he can. And interestingly enough, again, they went to a very cheap CGI house to make this special effect. It looks awful. Yes, it does. But something I only just noticed this time, one of the landmark pieces of superhero movies are the Fleischer Superman cartoons from the 30s. Superman blocks a laser beam from a mountaintop and beat for beat, this is the exact same scene. The animators at that animation house were like, how do we do this? I've seen this. And they just literally copied it note for note. The only difference is, in that show, Superman punches the laser back into the laser gun it came out of, rather than shooting fire at it, which was probably simpler for them to animate anyway. But right down to the fact that the first time he gets in front of the laser and tries to block it, the laser hits him, and he does some ragdoll physics flow, uh, spinning around and round through the air, even right down to the leg and arm motions when he's spinning, that's the exact same scene. So what you're saying is, this was Quentin Tarantino's first movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is in the realer than real cinematic universe of the Tarantino movies. Reed tries to save Doom. Doom falls off his parapet like a like a klutz. Yep. And he's, he's, he's going to fall, and, and Reed tries to save him. But Doom intentionally lets himself fall to the death after saying uh, to Reed, you're a pussy, I would have let me fall, yeah. and then decides to let himself fall. 
they they go back to see if Johnny's all right. But as they're leaving, his glove starts to move. His ash hand. Uh, yes. His uh, his his groovy uh, metal gauntlet. He left has a gauntlet behind. He left a gauntlet behind, and it starts to move. Which again. As a comic book fan, inferring very doom probably means that this doom was a doom bot and that he's still out there somewhere. But again, if I was not a Fantastic Four fan, I would have no idea what the fuck you were doing. Especially since they never removed the human hand from the actor when he's falling. Yeah. So you see him with a f- a pink human hand. It's very visible on the in the footage as he falls. And so when the glove moves, it just looks like. I don't know, there's like a servo motor in the glove to give him super strength or something. Like, it doesn't read Doombot. Smash cut to a uh, forced happy ending of Reed and Sue. Getting married. Getting he marries his child bride. Yep. Uh, the woman he's been grooming for ten years. Yes. Uh, uh, Reed. They get married in their uniforms, which is super fucking gauche. <laughs> I fucking hate it. It's... Ben, ben uh, attends the wedding in the Speedo that, yeah. that Brad was looking for this entire time. They get in the limousine and uh, Reed's stretchy hand comes out the top and waves to everybody as they drive away in a shot that apparently, according to him, Joseph Culp was on the set to see that day and said, oh. So. Uh, I thought then... you were going to say he cried like Werner Herzog <laughs> seeing, seeing baby the baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah. No, he just looked at it and said, Oh, <laughs> like realizing what kind of movie he had signed up for. I wasted all my good acting on this. <laughs> Apparently, according to him, he walked out of his audition for the movie saying to himself, that was acting. <laughs> okay. Fade to credits, and I wrote down, what more could anyone ask from an FF movie? Probably some establishment. I So, again, this movie... Just spent, uh, it's going to be cut down, but just spent three hours complaining about it. Uh, I absolutely love the vibe of this movie. And for me, that is enough to carry it through. It feels like Fantastic Four to me. It feels like the characters. It feels like their world. So even with all the flaws that we just talked about, to me, this is a really good time. But I, again, I have to put a big asterisk behind, behind my rec- recommendation because... Most people are not going to get that feeling from it. It's a very personal thing for me. Yeah. Um, even talking about this movie yeah. began to feel like a slog. <laughs> well, probably because we spent three hours on probably. it. Probably. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's worth a few chuckles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess there's more chuckles if you're a comic fan. You're like, yeah, this is... I don't know. Yeah. It's... If you have nothing else to do, right? If you're if you're really in a Marvel mood and you you mm-hmm. want to see the weird stuff before the MCU got established, yeah. If you've already check gone... out three Deva Dem <laughs> and then go and watch this. If you've already gone out and tried to watch like the 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 terrible '80s version of the Punisher or the terrible '70s pilot for Captain America, then this is not going to be any worse than those. Oh, you know what I want to get my hands on? What? The David Hasselhoff Nick Fury movie. Uh, that's actually available on YouTube. Is it? It is. Oh, I don't know if it's man. if it's allowed or not, but like uh, I've seen some clips. It's something special. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye.